And now it's time for shopping news with Arthur Price. Hello. <laughs> Hello, housewives again. Well, there are plenty of bargains for your larder in the shops at the moment. Runner beans, onions and potatoes are all good value for money. And now's the time to buy gooseberries. But if you think you're buying a centurion tank, well, uh, leave it for a week or two. The ones in the shops haven't reached their best yet, and are a bit small and flavourless. Oh, and if you're thinking of preserving some surgical corsets for next Christmas, why not put down a bottle of Chateauneuf de Saint-Germain de Rosalie's wart remover? They go together like peaches and creosote. Well, one last bargain you can find in the shops this week, and that's me. Three and six a pound, ready wrapped and best served with egg all over my face. <laughs> also in the shops this week, in right condition, well, going off a bit, perhaps, are Timbrook Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Candler, Bilotti, with their well-known package deal. There's a giveaway of Bilotti in every package. I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Shoppers, again! I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Rip off. And this week, we report on housing. Oh, no! Not that! Oh, not, not that! I beg of you, for pity's sake, not that! Why? Uh, what, what's the matter with housing? Housing? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said community alligator wrestling in Turkey. <laughs> housing, that's all right, sorry. Yes, we report on housing. Here in the heart of Batterwick, one of London's worst slum areas, lives 97-year-old Miss Edith Mimbles. She lives all her life in this tumble-down old house, which is in a shocking state of repair. Let's ask her what she feels about living in a rickety old place like this. I'll just knock out the door. I wanted number three. <laughs> but there are other problems. In some parts of the country, the local inhabitants complain about the number of Indians moving into the area. Oh, do stranger, look out! Here they come again! Ugh, white man, take our land, steal our bungalows. <laughs> areas overcrowding is a problem, but we heard of one family living alone in a house big enough to house many more occupants. We went to speak to the head of this family, but unfortunately Her Majesty was away at the time. <laughs> However, a palace spokesman did in fact tell us to push off. Well, what can be done to improve living conditions? Does the fault really lie with the landlords? Her aged white-haired mother, her 
houses themselves. How are they built? Well, the simplest form of building is probably the Eskimo igloo, just a dome made out of blocks of ice. Unfortunately, the Eskimo igloo builders are dying out. Why is that? They, they never marry. Oh, is that a tradition? No, it's just that they've got terribly cold hands. <laughs> <laughs> and even today, some people like to build their own homes. Do-it-yourself enthusiasts, like Mr. E.C. Duffett of Clapham. <laughs> I visited Mr. Duffett, and when I reached the house he built all by himself, I rang the bell. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Duffett opened the fireplace, and I stepped into the bathroom. Oh, uh, hello, you've come to view my little boat, have you? <laughs> well, uh, what, what do you think of it? It's very nice. Um, but this bathroom, isn't it rather small? Ah, uh, yes, that was a slight miscalculation, yes, that the bath only fits in on one end, you see. So you have to take a bath standing up. <laughs> but doesn't all the water run out? Uh, no, no, not if you keep the door shut. And you built it all yourself? Yes, 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 I did it single-handed, yes. After the accident with the circular saw. <laughs> the sitting room. Uh, of course, yes. The seating's too low for you to stand. Somewhere <laughs> and now, this is um, really unusual. Uh, yes, well, <laughs> I'm very proud of this room. I, I designed it myself. It's very plain and simple. Uh, no fireplace. Uh, no, and, and no windows. And no door. No, just black walls. Uh, with no way in or out. That's absolutely cool. Oh. <laughs> Help! 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 Let me out! <laughs> Most of us, however, prefer to leave the job to the professional builders. Ah, uh, right, all oh, that, lads. There's everybody here. They certainly are. All right. now. There's Hannigan, Mannigan, Tannigan, Dannigan, Brannigan, Fannigan, Paddy Muldoon. It's Mickey or Rafferty, Cafferty, Daffy, Peter or Toll, and Bright Only Can Right, we're going to get this house built. Right, right. Now, right. now, me right. and Paddy will right. tell you what to do. Right, now then, be quiet. Muldoon, you started the foundation to get that. Oh, it's, it's start on the foundation. Oh, it? sure it is. Don't, 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 don't start with the foundation. Right. But, but why don't we start on the roof? Then we can keep out the rain when we're building the walls. <laughs> I've got a better idea. i got a better idea now. Why don't we build the house inside out? Then when it's raining outside, we're inside outside. And when it's fine outside, we're outside inside. That's enough out of you, Sally Cohen. Now, you can carry the bricks up the ladder. Sure, and wouldn't it be easier for the path, Bella, if you built the house at ground level so all the bricks in it were cemented together and then you'd only have to make the one trip up that ladder and that way we'd need one less man. Ah, good thinking, O'Rourke. You're fired. Now then, lad, here's what you're going to do. Now, Michael O'Mulligan mixes the mortar while Big Billy Brannigan builds up the bricks. And Paddy O'Poverty puts in the plumbing which Phineas Fogarty helps him to fix. There's Mickey O'Maggotty taking the measurements. Mickey O'Malligan knocking the nails. Well, Kevin O'Callaghan carries the concrete and Dickie O'Donovan's doing the thing.
so much for the Italians. <laughs> but in the old days, they really did build houses to last and to look good. And even today, you can still find the old-timers who remember life in the gracious homes of yesteryear. <laughs> Till I was 21. <laughs> if then. Butler! Speaking of butlers, our butler was always stealing our food. Really? Yeah. Do you know what we did? Oh, no. We set a man trap in the pantry. Man trap in the pantry. And we baited it with a gigantic Wensleydale cheese. And what happened? Caught an enormous mouse. Oh. <laughs> I remember those mice, fine creatures. Uh, not like these modern, long-haired mice. <laughs> well, I must be running along. How do you know? I can feel my legs moving. <laughs> and now it's time for a song. I'm sorry, it's proud to present their own unique entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. As always on the ball, the song is specially constructed to appeal to every member of the international judging panel. This could get us into the common muck. Now I've been all around the world, if you know what I mean. I have conquered Asia and Australia, and Antarctica, I see. Quite on America and China, and yet all that apart, there's a little place near Russia that is closest to my heart. Europe, that's where I long to be. Just show me the vineyards of Iceland and the windmills of Paris. Arrivederci, Hamburg, and Guten Abend, Rome. My two good compadres are all that. Norwegian and Zorba the Swede carry me back to Europe cause that's my home just show me the sights of Europe play me a 
two masked men broke into an East Croydon jeweler's and got away with 10,000 pounds worth of diamonds. Eyewitness reports described one raider as being 6 feet 11 inches tall and the other 4 feet 9. Police are searching high and low. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is serial time once again. We present episode 10, only three to go, of Professor Prune and the Electric Time Trousers. time trousers has been stolen by the wicked fetish, arch-villain of outer space. Yet in a pair of makeshift trousers, the professor has managed to fly to Victorian England, where he is indicted for high treason. In the courtroom, he is faced with a prosecution counsel, who turns out to be none other than the evil fetish himself. What chance is he now? We shall soon know as we listen to this episode of... The Time Trousers. Oh, oh good grief. Fetish. Yeah, yeah. The same... Oh, very uh, and, and, and you are the counsel for the prosecution, are you? I am, Miller. Yeah, proceed with the cross-examination, would you do? You are Professor Prune. I am. You are the <laughs> inventor of... We may as well point out at this stage that Graham Gardner is playing both these parts. The following passage is not so much an exercise in humour as in vocal expertise. We do not expect many laughs during it, but Mr. Garden would appreciate a round of applause when it's all over. 
as this will persuade listeners at home that it was very difficult to do, which it isn't. <laughs> Carry on, Big Head. Professor, you are the inventor of these alleged time trousers. I am. I put it to you that these trousers are fixed. I object. Overruled. I put it to you that you are lying. You're putting words into my mouth, sir. I put it to you that when you tell me you are telling the truth, you are in fact lying in order not to tell the truth. I am. What? Not. Not what? Lying. What about? Ha-ha! <laughs> you hesitate! Ha-ha-ha! <laughs> oh, the case rests, my lot. <laughs> then the jury retired, but they soon found another one. In consultation, they were ready to give their verdict. Uh, you speak for the jury? I do, my lord. How did you find the defendant? By looking under the table. <laughs> and, and, and tell me, tell me, do you find him guilty or innocent? Uh, guiltless or indeed in a guilt. Oh. Uh, six, six for and six against. Oh, dear, dear, dear. I have to decide myself. Let's see. Did I find him guilty? Oh! Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. Give me the black cap. It's getting very cold in here. <laughs> Professor, you have been tried, and, and you must take the wrap. Put it round you. That'll keep you warm. Uh, there you are. Now, you've been tried, and it has been shown that many scandals have been caused by your trousers. These are serious breaches of the law. Silence, silence in court. You've been found guilty of high treason, and you must be castigated. Oh, no! Not that! <laughs> now you shall be taken from this place to Tyburn Tree, where you will be hanged by the neck until ripe. <laughs> It's on sale for me. Price three and six, seven and six. Edited highlights on BBC Two. Roll up. So, in the grim hush of early dawn, Professor Prune was led out onto Tyburn Hill, where he beheld the terrible scaffold. the executioner, and I have here a signed paper authorizing me to do this hanging. Oh, a lynching voucher. Have you? Have you no respect? <laughs> Professor, before you go, would you like a cigarette? Oh, thank you. Now, do you have one last request? Yes. <coughs> Can I have a light? <laughs> As the dawn approached, the rope was placed around the professor's neck, and the BBC broadcast the events to the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the six o'clock news. As the executioner slowly raised the lever that controlled the gibbet, Trixie, the professor's little niece, tried to stop him, crying, I want to do it. But even as the rope tightened, a galloping masked figure raced into view. Straight out of the gallows it bounded. The professor was swept into the saddle. Trixie and Percy left on behind. Away they all fled, leaving the executioner aghast. Thank you, just what I wanted, a lovely cast. <laughs> And who is our mysterious masked rescuer that gallops like the wind? Take your mask off and show us your true identity. What? Oh, no! <laughs> yes, it was Spot. Yes, it was Spot, their faithful dog, whom they thought they'd lost forever. Oh, you can't win, can you? <laughs> Again, can't we go home in the flying trousers? No, Trixie, you're forgetting. Fetish. 
stole the original time trousers, so only he knows where they are. Then we must find him and lead us to them. And as luck would have it, at that very moment... Look! Look! Up there in the sky, it's a huge balloon. Either that or a very fat wingless bird. <laughs> yes, it was, of course, fetish. In his own rocket-powered inflatable blue tits. And as he floated away into the west, he sang a song which told them exactly where he was going. I'm off to Alabama where the And so they knew that Fetish really was bound for the deep south of America. Without delay, they clambered into a rowing boat and crossed the Atlantic in a record 16 years. A time that was not to be equal till the maiden voyage of the QE2. Oh. And then they took the railroad south and very soon found themselves at Rheumatic Creek, Virginia, boarding the riverboat that would take them down the Mississippi to New Orleans. There were all manner of folk on board, gathered round a man who was haranguing them. Oh, come on, gather round, Joe. You better listen, you better listen. Good, because I'm going to tell you, I don't found the secret of eternal happiness. Now shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, super. I have here in my hand this, friends, this is Dr. Duck's elixir. Dr. Duck, obviously a quack. Oh, yes. And for the engines here present, we got fire water. Um, fire water. Is that um whiskey, um duck? Nope, running nose. This, <laughs> this is petrol. But um petrol, not for um drinking. Now, you've been doing your book learning, sir, because if you did, you'd know that engines run on petrol. Oh. And besides, you drink this fire water, you know what you're going to be. You're going to be a fire engine. <laughs> I hope, I'm sure that Oh, what a bright child. But this man is treating these people. Stop him, Uncle. Yes. Hey, you, Dr. Chappie, I'm a man of science, and I think your elixir is a fake. I demand to test it. Now, to do a proper analysis, I shall need, all oh, 30 or 40 bottles, half a dozen tonics, and a packet of nuts. Help yourself, you <laughs> And so the doctor tested the so-called elixir, and after three hours' vigorous experiments, came to this conclusion. I can't tell. <laughs> I shall need another 50 bottles. Professor, I'm afraid I am. <laughs> My good sir, from the way, from the way that you're skipping and leaping about, I'd say you were a gambling man. How would you care to join us in a game of cards? Then little idea. Right. Well, allow me to introduce a few friends of mine. Now, first, this is the hostess of the ship. She is Cindy Lou. <laughs> And this here, friends, my sporting friends, two regular Mississippi gamblers. I can meet them. Fat chance? Sam Hoops. You kind of join us at the table? What are you playing? This is a crap game. Yep, it is pretty bad. <laughs> Uncle! Uncle, look at that chance. Do you see what he's wearing? A hat! No, 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 on his legs! Honey, place for a hat? <laughs> oh! Good grief! The electric time trousers themselves! <laughs> we must get them off him. And there's only one way to do that. <clears throat> Gentlemen! I suggest a game of strip poker. Very well. Deal the cards. Now place your bets. I bet a sock. I double that. A pair of socks and a vest. I'll raise your vest and see your corsets. <laughs> I'll, I'll lay a hat. All right. All right, Professor, I'm going to call your hand. Hand? Yes. Come here. What you got? Four aces. Too bad. I got five. Oh, now what do I do? Quickly, Professor. Play the queen. All right. Now. Fixie, once he's standing, grab his trousers. No, quick, fat, over the side. Oh, That's what I'm oh, 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 
Professor and Trixie leapt into the murky waters of the Mississippi. Alas, they soon lost Fat Chance and Sam Hopes. And as dawn came, they found themselves washed up on a sandbank in the middle of the Mississippi swamps. Around them, the marsh gas bubbled as alligators slithered through the slime. Sure, it's all gas and gators. Then they saw coming towards them a shambling, bumbly figure. Zippity doo dah, zippity. Who are you? Ah, Uncle Rhesus. <laughs> a little monkey. Well, uh, he's a bit of a rascal. Look ah. here, sunshine. Yes. <laughs> Can you done gone bin direct us? <laughs> The civilization honey trial. So can, master. I can take you to the big wild clouds on the hill, and you can meet my mistress, sweet Savannah Sue. <laughs> After a few minutes, the professor felt dizzy. You try singing this high. <laughs> and soon they approached the big white house. Around it was a splendid orchard with orange trees groaning with fruit. Oh, get off there. <laughs> a gardener was laying out plants. Take that, plant. <laughs> and there was a magnificent... A magnificent swimming pool with a lone bather, shaped like a piano. It's <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Savannah Sue. Like you said, I'm shaped like a piano. Would you care to tickle my ivories? I'm just having... <laughs> I'm just having a quick dip. Come on in. Oh, I can't swim. But perhaps if I could use your water wings. <laughs> They're not water wings. Oh. I wonder if you can help us. Oh, yeah. We're trying to get some trousers off a Mississippi gambler. Very difficult. I've tried off my <laughs> No, ma'am, you misconstrue. Oh, do I? Yes. yes. These, these are the electric time trousers, and they're really mine. Oh, very interesting. You must tell me more. I'll just get out of the water. Reefer. Yes, ma'am. Give me a hand. Thank you. Now, I'm sure you could all do with a drink. Oh, yes, I'd love something long and cool. And I'll have something short and cheeky. Reefer, bring us an iced carrot and Jimmy Clitheroe. Now, tell me. Tell me your problems, dear boy. But no sooner had the professor opened his mouth, then Rhesus came rushing out. Oh, what are you doing in my mouth? <laughs> Mr. Chu, Mr. Chu, the engines is rising. Listen. <laughs> the engines is revolting. None of that, Rhesus, you little Enoch Paul, you. <laughs> well, Mr. Chu, you well, folks gotta hide. He's that running nose. He's attacking everyone. But didn't they sign a pistol to this morning? Sure did. Oh. But then they all drank a toast in that Dr. Duck's fire water. He <laughs> lit a peace pipe and blew up. He sure is mad. He says he's going to scalp every white folk in town. He'll never scalp me. I'm completely bald. <laughs> but I'm not. Oh, oh, quick. No. Quick. Quick, oh, Trixie. Stop. Hide. Come now. Has Spot reappeared only to be scalped all over? With luck. Will they find the time trousers in time to return to 1969 by episode 13? Listen again to next week's installment of The Time the voices of Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Ken and Bilotti, bringing you a script written by Graham Garden and Bilotti. The song was Bilotti's too, and Lee and Kern arranged it, along with the rest of the music, which was played by Dave Lee and the boys. 
David Hatch and Peter Tillich produced it and tore each other's hair in the process. To tell you why, here is John Otto Cleave. That was, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, Mother. Again. My name is Andrew Cleave. I know I would be sitting in the story. I'll read that again. You 